everything we build is with an e-commerce merchant in mind. And e-commerce merchants are not engineers. They're not technical for the most part. So everything we do and we build is drag and drop. You don't need an engineer. You can do it all yourself. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we are dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I'm your host, Annette Grant. And we believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you are struggling to scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. And let's get on with the show. On today's episode of Honest E-Commerce, we meet Jordan Gall, the CEO of Carthook, where he explains to us how to build full funnels within Shopify. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. Annette is out today doing something crazy that she'll talk about on the next podcast episode. So I'll just leave everyone uh, wondering what's going on. But today, I have a fantastic guest. I purposely kept myself in the dark about his app's technology. Uh, His name is kind of going around the e-commerce circle. So I'm really excited to have him on the show today. Uh, Welcome to the show, Jordan Gall, the CEO and founder of Carthook. So without further ado, welcome. Thank you very much, Chase. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Looking forward to the conversation and to talking through what we're doing and what's happening in the market. So good to be here. Thanks for everybody for listening, and it's good to be on the show. Absolutely. All right. First and foremost, what was your history up until Carthook? Sure. So I come from an immigrant entrepreneur household. Came over. My parents brought us over from Israel when I was six, and I watched my father uh, be an entrepreneur. And growing up in that environment, it's hard to get away from it. Uh, you kind of get that mindset of this is uh, right the freedom version of of work. And working for yourself. So I've, I've done a bunch of different things. Uh, I started a bunch of different businesses from political websites. Uh, eventually, I landed on an e-commerce business myself. So we did drop shipping. And then we uh, had some inventory. And I, that's how I learned e-commerce, by running my own store. And did that for about 14 months before selling, selling the business off. And then got into the software game. And I wanted to stay in e-commerce. Uh, I really identified some of the apps that we were using, chose one in particular. It was a cart abandonment app. And I said, hey, this thing is a piece of junk, but it makes me thousands of dollars every month. Maybe if I made a better version of a cart abandonment app, that would be a good business. And that's how Carthook started. That was our original idea uh, before making our way over to uh, the checkout product, which we're running now. We really would not have come up with that if we had not been in the market with our cart abandonment product first. Now, do you have a technical background? Uh, are you familiar with kind of the more uh, code side of things, or were you just you understood there was a problem and you were thinking creatively about solutions? Yes, so I'm I'm not technical, um, and so what what I what I always bring to the table is the merchant's point of view. If I were running a store, what would I want to do? How would I want things to work? What freedom do I want? What things do I want the technology to leverage for me? Um, so that's kind of like my role uh, is the sales and marketing side, but really the real role is the one uh, uh, the voice of the merchant. What would I want if I were selling 
physical products online right now. And in many, many ways, all the things we're building now are all based on the way I ran our own e-commerce business. This is eight years ago now. And a lot of it is still not built. And it feels uh, strange that it's not built. I also feel very lucky that it hasn't been built. Uh, and, and, and I get to say that part. So uh, what, like, could you tell us what that business was? Is it still around, that old e-commerce business? It's, it's no longer around. I mean, we sold it off. The sites are still there, but uh, I, I don't think they're still running it uh, for whatever reason. I think they started uh, moving toward Amazon. Uh, so what we were doing is we were looking at net shops uh, that, I, that became Hayneedle and CSN stores that then eventually became Wayfair. There's a possibility I have those exactly backwards, but you get the point. And what we were doing is looking at what, th- what their strategy was. And what they used to do before they consolidated into Hayneedle and Wayfair, they had a network of hundreds of very, very niche stores. And what we would do is keep track of where they were spending advertising money. And then we would kind of spin up uh, like clone stores. So we had our own, our own network of very, very niche stores. Uh, our most successful stores sold solar lighting products. A different store sold Adirondack chairs. Different are sold electric fireplaces, hammocks. So we're really going after the strategy of um, looking to Google AdWords for very high intent keywords, and then effectively building a store to match keywords that people were searching for. People are searching for solar spotlight. You could basically spin up an entire e-commerce store around solar spotlights and sell that way. I want to put a caveat in that real quick, though. That uh... I don't think that exact strategy will work today. Would you agree no, or disagree? I agree with you. Uh, and it's, it's part of the reason we sold the business so quickly. It's not because, oh, someone offered us a ton of money. We had to say yes. It's really, we didn't really like the future. We were selling products that were available in many other places. And in an Amazon world, that was not going to work out at the end of the day. And so we were faced with the decision of, should we build up our own brand or brands? Or do we just want to slowly kind of be consumed by Amazon and all this competition? So that, that's why we sold it off. Yeah, I, so mean, I, I agree with you completely. That right there is is actually a, a perfect little nugget of wisdom. Nowadays, if you want to be successful in e-commerce, you need to have a brand because anything that's commoditized almost, Amazon's got you beat by just so much of a margin. Yes. You need to do an enormous amount of work to add value if your product is available elsewhere, especially if it's available uh, within 48 hours or whatever the shipping will be by the time this podcast is over with Amazon. All right. And then there was another thing that you you touched on uh, that I wanted to bring up is that uh, you, like myself, do not have the technical knowledge. And I would actually argue that that's a strength because we don't get boxed in by the limitations of what that technical knowledge might put in front of you. Uh, and there's, you know, then you kind of get that, that pig headed, like, oh, no, there's a way we can figure it out. Yes. I, it might be self serving, but I agree, agree with you 100%. Uh, there is a superpower that goes along with being able to write the code that you envision uh, to accomplish what you envision, but it's rarely the same person that has the right vision of what a non technical e commerce merchant wants and is also the same person that can put that into code. So I don't even... I really don't even think about it as advantage or disadvantage. I just look at, okay, this is who I am. This is the strength that I have. And so 
what do I need to do with that? What's the best I can do with that? And then who needs to augment that with different skills to make it a reality, right? Software at some point needs to get written into code, uh, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. It's, yeah, software's complicated. Man. Oh, absolutely. And I agree with you. It is a superpower. It's not a skill I have at all. And I'm in awe sometimes when I see what I presume are complex problems. And like, no, that's easy. I got that. It's, it's like a left, left side, right side brain thing. Yes. All right. So you've sold your handful of stand-up brands that you guys had built. Uh, and you know you saw the future was coming and you started to focus on this, this uh, abandoned cart app. Where did you get the name Cart Hook from? Obviously, you got to ask that one. And then, like, was that the MVP? What was you know? What were the next steps? What was the infancy of the app? Yeah, uh, the Cart Hook brand name is you know that modern process of coming up with a name and then realizing the domain is taken and then starting to make tweaks from there. <laughs> so that's 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 pretty much it right there. Uh, so Cart Hook, I like the sound of it. It made sense for for abandoned cart app. Uh, so that was the original product. And we were in the market for roughly two years with that product. And it was okay, but it wasn't going that well. It wasn't growing that quickly. There was a lot of competition coming in. Things were getting cheaper. And I really did not... I was not that psyched about the future. So what started to happen, if you think about what it's like day-to-day running an abandoned card app, you're pretty much staring at different checkout pages all day. If you combine that with the fact that when I ran my e-commerce business, I was the one responsible for conversion optimization. So I've been staring at product pages, shopping cart pages, and checkout pages for a year prior. Then I'm in the market with this card abandonment product. I'm basically staring at checkout pages all day. Eventually, it dawns on me, hey, recovering abandoned carts is a good business because it provides direct ROI and you can point to the amount of money you're helping to make a merchant. That's a great position to be in as a, as a software provider. But wouldn't it be more valuable if instead of just capturing lost sales, we just came up with a better checkout page that had fewer abandoned carts to begin with? And then we could also maybe offer our Picard abandonment app, but the real value would be in providing a better converting checkout page. So that's that was the genesis of the product. And we combine that with the fact that the Shopify checkout page is relatively rigid. It does not provide you that much opportunity for customization. And we said, we thought, okay, this is worth effectively gambling the company on, right? A small company, four people. We didn't raise very much money. We raised a few hundred K from friends and family. Um, so taking on a second product, that was really a, a gamble of, of the whole company. Uh, but we thought it made sense. Uh, and fortunately, it, it has panned out that way. Awesome. I like betting it all. I'm a gambler myself, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes that's the right call. Uh, I, oftentimes it's not, but sometimes it is. And, and so once... Uh, if I can just keep going like with the, with the genesis of it, what, what we originally launched back in January of 2017 was a customizable one-page checkout for Shopify. And I thought that was, that was a winner. Uh, it's customizable and it's one page instead of three. And people want control over their checkout. They want to optimize it. Uh, so that's what we launched. As soon as we launched, we started hearing back what people want to do with that checkout. And that's when we added the post-purchase upsells. And that's when things really clicked. And we, we ended up processing $100 million in, in the first year of the product. 
That's amazing. And just going back to uh, that gambler statement, I just think when you make decisions and you don't need to harp on them, it's that fail fast mentality. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. It was uh, it was a it was a tough decision, but it felt right. Then the first year, you know, the, the whole thing with startups, whether you're an e-commerce merchant or software, or whatever, it's it is not a straight line. It, it's a roller coaster, and we we had our own version of the roller coaster. So we, we had this with this very strange problem of nailing the product in terms of what the market wants. People wanted a one-page checkout that was customizable for Shopify. And then they wanted post-purchase upsells. And when we had those together, people really wanted the product. But it is a difficult product to get right. You're doing the payment processing. You're doing conversion tracking. You're integrating with Shopify very closely. It was a difficult product to get right. So we had this mountain of demand that we could barely handle. So that was its own like prison sentence. It's like all this demand, but can't really go fast enough to satisfy it. That was that was a that was an unexpected position to be in. Usually when you're launching a product, you're expecting the demand generation to be the difficult problem. And in this scenario, it was keeping up with it as, as opposed to generating it. Support for our podcast comes from our friends at Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your e-commerce store. It works with your existing email and chat platforms. So setup is quick and easy. Simpler's network of on-demand, US-based Simpler specialists are standing by to answer your customers' most common questions. Set it up for free today and then turn it on or off depending on your customer volume. You only pay $2.25 for every resolution. No hidden fees, contracts, or minimums. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat around the clock with Simpler specialists. Start your free 7-day trial at simpler.ai slash honest. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I slash honest. Let's kind of unveil what the product is now. What does it solve yes. for me as an e-commerce merchant on Shopify? So what it does is it gives the marketing side of the business full control over every step of the funnel. That, that is the intention of the product. We started out with the checkout itself and then we added post-purchase upsells. But all those are uh, customizing and optimizing your checkout and adding post-purchase upsells based on what the shopper is buying and then allowing the merchant to create offers in between the checkout page and the thank you page in such a way that the shopper does not need to re-enter their payment info in order to accept the offer. All of those things are an expression of what the merchant wants to accomplish. So we, we see ourselves as enablers. We have some innovation in mind, but we're, we're not even there yet. That's probably about a year off. Uh, right now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take what merchants already know they want to do and just letting them do it. Right, right now in e-commerce, whether it's Shopify or Big Commerce or Magento or any other platform, the marketing side of the business constantly needs to make compromises in order to accommodate the limitations of the platform, of the theme, of all these things that are technically related. And, and that's what we want to attack. We want to separate the back end from the front end, the back end that does the order management and triggers the apps, adds people to an email list, that should be separate from the front end shopper experience. And so what our app does is it gives 
the merchant full control over that shopper experience. We have landing pages, so people can send people directly into a landing page that they control, not the product page that's within the theme that's more limited. And we also have checkout that works both inside the store and alongside those landing pages that's very customizable. And then we have those post-purchase upsells. We have thank you pages. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to hand over as much control as possible to the merchant because we believe they know best on how they want to market their business. That is an amazing product. So there's a few questions I have. One, do I need to be on Shopify, Shopify Plus? Are you on any other platforms? Right now, we're just on Shopify. So I can yep. use this with a non-plus store? Correct. Both Shopify and Shopify Plus both work. We have, uh, we have stores that run the gamut from relatively beginner stores doing $10,000 a month to all the way to Shopify Plus stores doing $10 million a month. All right. And then... So what would be um, a more simplified use case of your run-of-the-mill brand and why this is going to... Uh, you know, We're going to bet on it. like Perform better than what they already have kind of out of the box with Shopify. Yes. So let's 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 put aside the more like sophisticated uh, versions or different use cases. Let's focus in on the, the classic use case that that everyone kind of gets started with. So if you have a Shopify store right now, what you're doing is you're trying to get people to the front of the store, to the product page, whether it's through ads or email or organic or content. You're trying to get people to add a product to the cart. And then at the cart stage, that's where CartHook comes in, our product. When a shopper is on that cart, when they hit the checkout button, if you have CartHook installed, that shopper will go to the CartHook checkout. And that checkout, you have a lot of control over. So the first goal of our product is to help people optimize their checkout to improve their conversion rate. So it allows you to take control of the design of the checkout page. You can add trust symbols and testimonials and credit card symbols and change colors to match your your brand and generally just have control over the CSS and HTML and other elements of that checkout page. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to convert more people from getting to the checkout to a purchase. That's, That's the first goal of the product. The second goal of the product is to then take those purchases and increase the average order value. And we do that by allowing post-purchase upsells. And so I think that's worth taking a step back and just explaining and defining what a post-purchase upsell is. So if we think about Amazon, one of the things that Amazon popularized was their you may also like feature. So when I add something to my cart, let's say I add, I don't know, a hose for my yard, Amazon will say, you may also like this hose organizer. So what it's trying to do is increase the average order value by getting you to buy more at the same time. So instead of spending $50 on the order, you spend $100 on the order. Now, it's doing that before you actually check out. And what that means is it is introducing a new buying decision before you've actually made the purchase. So I have the hose in my cart. Now I'm looking at this hose uh, organizer and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, maybe I need to go research and look at the reviews. So it's adding more friction to the buying process. Now, Amazon specifically is not that worried about you coming back. 
they're pretty sure you come back to Amazon. So they're not that worried about losing the sale. You, on the other hand, running a Shopify store that people... It is probably not a name brand uh, that everyone recognizes. You should be concerned about people uh, leaving before making that initial purchase. And so what we've done is we've taken the upsell, the you may also like element of that purchase that increases the average order value. And we've taken it from before the checkout to after the checkout. And what that does is it does two really important things. The first thing is that it doesn't add any friction to the original purchase. So the shopper comes in, puts an item into the cart, goes to the checkout, puts in their information, their payment info, and hits buy. After they hit buy, instead of seeing a confirmation page like a a traditional e-commerce transaction, what they'll see is a set of upsells that you as the merchant can set up. And so instead of that buying decision being after the check, before the checkout, now it's after the checkout. So you've already captured the sale. There's no chance of losing it. And now you can make them additional offers that might increase the average order value of that purchase. That's the first thing it does. The second thing it does is it capitalizes on the fact that you now know what they bought. So if I'm buying, let's say, uh, a bag of coffee from... Call it Death Wish Coffee. Now the upsell, I can say to myself, Oh, I know what they purchased. So let me make sure that the upsell is congruent, that it actually makes sense with what they purchased. So then you can offer a monthly subscription to that same coffee that someone just bought. So in doing that and putting the friction on the other side of the checkout, so you never lose a purchase and also capitalizing on the fact that you know what they're purchasing, that drives up the average order value. So our product does both of those things. It allows you to optimize your checkout for higher conversions and allows you to optimize the funnel for higher average order value. Those are amazing things. And then just going with our betting theme of the episode, I'm going to bet you have read Dotcom Secrets by Russell Bronson. A, a lot of what we do, I'm, I'm happy to admit, is, is influenced by ClickFunnels and Dotcom Secrets yeah, if I can kind of dive into that for a second, I think I think it's interesting just historically on what happened to the e-commerce market over the past few years. Oh yeah, go ahead. The, yeah, the, the the way I see it, e-commerce is it's it's actually kind of stuck in the old ways. I mean, if you look at a store online, it still mimics the offline analogy. It's still an aisle at a store in real life is the same thing as a category page. A product page online is pretty much the same thing as stopping in the aisle and looking at the product and reading the description. It's literally still called a shopping cart page, like an actual shopping cart and a checkout, like a checkout line. It is very traditional. It really hasn't moved around that much in the past 20 years. Now, what what happened with digital commerce, selling digital products, that innovated much faster than selling physical products. So if you look at what ClickFunnel does and landing pages... And uh, how people advertise and market digital products and webinars and courses that innovated much faster. And so ClickFunnels really accelerated that by making it really easy to build landing pages, right? It's like lead pages did it first, and then Insta pages, and ClickFunnels kind of put it all together. So you're building entire funnels instead of just landing pages. So as that became more popular, at the same time, what was happening on the other side is that Shopify. 
and its app ecosystem and all of these infrastructure services like, like shipping and delivery and so on, it made selling a physical product almost as efficient as selling a digital product. Right? These days, most people are, don't have a warehouse and aren't touching their physical products every day before shipping them out. It kind of goes sight unseen. You're just running an online store and maybe Amazon's doing the shipping for you or ShipBob or someone else. And so as that started to become more real, selling physical products started to draw the attention of the digital marketers. So the digital marketers, most notably using ClickFunnels, started selling physical products and started invading the Shopify uh, ecosystem. And they brought with them all of the digital marketing strategies. And then they bumped into the fact that it's actually hard to accomplish those strategies when selling physical products. And, and that's where you start to get into something like Cardhook, resembling ClickFunnels and resembling these strategies that digital marketers use. It's just that it's now being applied to the con- in the context of selling physical products. For anyone that hasn't read Dotcom Secrets, that is pretty much how I wrote uh, the content strategy for Electric Eye. Uh, just a quick fun fact there. And it's actually literally sitting 2 feet away from me in my bookshelf. Yeah, it's a good book. It's a great book. All right. So uh, now to get into like some nerdy stuff. So you guys are just replacing the shopping cart. You're using probably a secondary uh, checkout. And I'm going to guess it's powered by Stripe. Stripe is our, our biggest partner. But we also do uh, Braintree, PayPal, Authorize, NMI, and, and, and so on. Cool. And then uh, I'm assuming uh, using that checkout comes with the pain of Shopify kind of taxing you to not use Shopify payments? Currently, no. Really? Yes. That is awesome. And I won't ask anymore. Um, and yes. then I got some other questions here. So it, this is... Uh, just building out funnels is a super robust and powerful thing. And it takes a lot of uh, strategy. you know. And, and also, I would just also just say like anytime that you're going to replace Shopify's checkout... That thing's tried and true. It's probably the most split-tested checkout in history. Anytime you're going to replace that with something secondary, you better know what you're doing. Uh, is like I guess only not a just a word to the wise, I guess. Yes. So and then yes. a, a question comes along with that. With cart hook, how user friendly would it be for the average store owner? Do you recommend using an expert? Do you guys have experts on hand? Like. You know the implementation of this. It's a pretty. Anytime you're just dealing with money and payments, like who? That's wild. I would always get an expert involved. So, what's yes. the implementation process? Yeah. So, so money and payments. I agree with you. Is is, is always tricky, and you want to be careful. Uh, and and we are very careful. And we. So so just to address what you said earlier, I think it's important to kind of face up to that fact. The Shopify checkout page it works quite well, and it works everywhere on all devices all the time. So right, you, you have to be able to say that and admit that. And, and we don't claim to just beat the Shopify checkout every time, no matter what, and just come over to us and immediately everything goes through the roof. That, that's not the case. Um, sometimes it takes work to beat it. Uh, sometimes for whatever reason, whether it's demographic or audience or whatever, we never beat the Shopify checkout. Other times we beat it right away. So it's not... 100% straightforward and we don't make claims that that it is. So going back to what you said earlier about uh, like ease of use or customization or like the implementation process, everything we build 
is with an e-commerce merchant in mind. And e-commerce merchants are not engineers. They're not technical for the most part. So everything we do and we build is drag and drop. You don't need an engineer. You can do it all yourself. And then at the same time, we also give access to things like HTML and CSS and and JavaScript and and global scripts and integrations with little data and so on. So uh, our biggest merchants usually have on staff an engineer or an agency that they're working with. and, And that gets pretty technical. But for the most part, the majority of our customers don't need a developer. And they come on board. And it's just like any other Shopify app. You hit connect. And you're done. There's no additional work beyond that other than the integrations that you want to use. So it's, it is not technical in nature, but it gets technical if you want to start looking under the hood and manipulating things. Yeah, that's what I was uh, kind of assuming. And just, and just to tell everyone again, I have not used the app and I purposely haven't used the app for this interview. And I also want to thank Jordan for admitting and being honest, going with the name of the show about kind of you know, Shopify's cart versus their cart and just telling it like it is. And, you know, I think being honest is easier than being a salesman. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like... It's like... It seems obvious, right? But I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's not obvious to everyone. But it seems obvious that uh, we set the expectations properly. Um, what, we, what we aim to do is provide good ROI. That is ideally by both beating the Shopify conversion rate on the checkout, and also increasing the average order value. But sometimes that comes with an increase in the average order value that's large enough to overcome any dip in the conversion rate, and it still gets you positive ROI. And if you're doing significant volume, then that ROI becomes significant pretty quickly. Absolutely. So with this app, it's super powerful. You already mentioned an integration with little with little data, little data. We had Ari on a few uh, weeks ago. Are there cool. any other integrations that you guys have uh, already built out or in the pipeline? Yes, one of the one of the important things about the Shopify ecosystem and how it differs from other ecosystems is that it it, it used the app partnerships to really extend the platform and allow merchants to accomplish what they want. And so it was is an absolute requirement for us to work with a lot of different apps. So a lot of Shopify apps just work. They just you just go in and it works like your discount apps and your rewards apps uh, and so on. It just works. You don't have to do anything. And then other partners, we kind of identify as really critical and they might have a lot to do with the checkout itself. And that's where we build uh, specific integrations. Uh, A good example is Recharge. So Recharge is one of our most important app partnerships. It allows for subscription billing. You can do subscriptions on the checkout. You can upsell people into a subscription on the upsell pages. So that's one of our critical uh, apps that we integrate with. That's a, a good example. Yeah, I uh, actually went into that with the knowledge that you guys re- uh, worked with Recharge. It was a loaded question. <laughs> yep, yep. No, well, that's 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 a really important one. A, a large percentage of our merchants uh, also use Recharge for subscriptions, and it's it's part of e-commerce strategy these days uh, to get higher lifetime value. And the best way to do that is to get people on the subscription. Absolutely. And before we uh, kind of part ways here, I have one last question for you. Um, sure. Where do you think things are going uh, with e-commerce in 2019 and beyond? Sure. So I think there's a perfect segue 
Um, I was hoping to be able to talk about a little bit of the more sophisticated side of, of the app. Uh, and this goes along well with it in context. So thank you. So a lot of what's happening in 2019 in e-commerce is being driven by the fact that uh, the cost to acquire a customer is going up. And Facebook ad costs going up, Instagram ads, YouTube, everything's getting more expensive. And it puts a lot of pressure on the merchants to optimize and to really dial in their spend. It's not as simple as, well, let's just blast you know $1,000 a day in Facebook ads and we'll do well. It's, it's not like that anymore. You have to do well on the creative, on the messaging, on the brand building. You have to get people onto your email list. You have to give people a reason to come back and purchase more than once. Um, and, and in that, all, in, in all of those efforts, where we come in is we allow people to create landing page funnels. And what I mean by that, so if you, if you envision a hub and spoke, like the wheel of a bicycle, we see the store itself as the hub. That is where people uh, read about you uh, in a news article and click over and buy something. It's where your returning customers go without you doing anything and they just organically put in the store uh, name and the URL and buy. But what we see happening in some of our most successful merchants doing is they are creating a lot of spokes, a lot of entry points into the store. And here's what I mean by that. Right now, the typical scenario is that if you're driving traffic from Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and let's call uh, an influencer, all of that traffic right now is going to the same product page in your Shopify store. And we think that does not make sense. If, if I'm a digital marketer and I'm promoting a webinar, I'm not sending you to my homepage where a section of it talks about the webinar. I'm sending you to a dedicated landing page about the webinar that gives you an option to either sign up for the webinar or hit the back button. And, and that's starting to come into play in physical product sales as well. So what our most sophisticated merchants are doing is they're identifying campaign-specific landing page funnels. So they're saying, if I'm going to run this ad on Instagram, when someone clicks on that ad, I'm not going to send them to a product page inside my Shopify store that I really don't have that much control over because it's built within the theme. I'm going to send it to a landing page that's fully dedicated to that specific product. I'm going to remove the navigation. I'm going to remove the footer. I'm going to zero in on the decision on whether to put this into the cart or hit the back button. And so what our app allows people to do is just that. You can build a landing page without the distraction of the store itself. And that leads directly into the checkout. And what that means is that checkout is specific to that campaign. Nobody's going to see that checkout if they didn't click through that ad and get to that landing page and get to that checkout page. And then the upsells make sense with it. The thank you page makes sense with it. So it's it's a bit of a foreign concept, but right now we have merchants that have hundreds of different funnels and hundreds of different checkout pages that all lead into the same Shopify backend. So as you get more sophisticated and spend more on ads and are trying to dial it in, the more control you want over every step of the funnel. And that's, that's what we're enabling. So it, it really unshackles the marketing team from being reliant on the theme and people making changes to the theme, they can just do whatever they want and spin up as many funnels as they want. 
I love that because I'm a giant nerd marketer. <laughs> um, all right. So I'm going to put a guess out there. Is uh, dynamic copy or smart messaging on the product roadmap? It, it used to be on our product roadmap and it's now shifted over to uh, an app partnership. So we have, uh, we have a lot of app partnerships and we're starting to zero in on what is core to our product and what we really should offload to an app partnership. So uh, we have an app partnership coming out with Crazy Egg. Uh, which will allow A-B testing and dynamic content and all that good stuff. And we think that they're going to do a better job at that while we focus on, on the core functionality. Again, with the just amazing focus on what you're good at. I love that. Yeah, And also just the dynamic messaging. Uh, having 100 funnels sounds awesome, but it sounds like 100 times the work. If you could just figure out how to do that same thing dynamically, you just have to build one. Yep. Makes sense. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, uh, is there anything else that you want to uh, leave with our audience before uh, we sign off here? No, that's it. I just want to say thank you. And I think uh, there are a lot of bright days ahead for e-commerce. Yeah, I think we're just, you know, it feels like we're pretty late in the game, but it's not. It's still a relatively very small percentage of all retail. And that number is going to go up significantly in the next 10, 20 years. So things are just getting started. I think there are bright days ahead for the e-commerce field. Awesome. I can't wait to ride this roller coaster with you. Cool. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for listening, everybody. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing the truth. Links and more will be available in the show notes. If you found any actionable advice in this podcast that you'd like to apply to your business, please reach out at electriceye.io slash connect. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice.